into the woods. Um, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 24, we are going to finish the book of Luke today. We have been in the, the gospel of Luke for quite some time, started several years ago, I've preached it off and on until this point, and I love how it ends. We began with the birth of Jesus, we have looked at the life of Jesus, we've seen now the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, and now today we see how we are to go out and share this gospel with others. Christmas is about Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth on a mission so that we would be saved. And now on Christmas, we read that because of our faith in Jesus, we are sent out on a mission to share the good news about Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today in Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 53. One thing we do here when we read the word of God, we're going to ask that you stand with us. We stand as we read uh, because we believe God's word comes with the full authority of God, inspired by God. And so we do so to honor our God and King. Chapter 24, verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let's pray. In the name of Jesus, we come to you, our heavenly, holy, almighty Father. And I ask today that by your grace, through your word, that you would open our eyes to see your glory. Father, may we see and enjoy the truth that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that he has risen victorious over sin, death, and Satan. Father, may we see the fact that now as believers we have the blessed privilege to go into this world and share the gospel. As we read and study your word, now flood our hearts, fill our hearts. Help us to see, help us to op open our eyes that we would see your joy, that we would see your glory. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus. We thank you for Christmas. Help us to see that your son Jesus is the greatest gift on Christmas. All the gifts we open tomorrow, we're only meant to point us to you, the perfect gift. 
Once again, Father, ask, open our eyes. May no one leave here today without knowing and seeing the glorious truth of your son, Jesus. In your name, amen. You all may be seated. Well, if you have been here the last couple of weeks, we've been going through Luke 24. There's three stories in Luke 24 all about the resurrection of Jesus. And they all follow a similar pattern. There's perplexion, there's a rebuke, there's instruction, and there's witness. And so all three stories follow that. And so today as we go through our text, we're going to follow the outline because that's the outline that is given to us. Now in the Gospel of John, we're told that after the crucifixion, that the disciples, they go into an upper room, they lock the door, and that they are afraid. The one that they have followed has been crucified. The one that they have followed, they thought was king, they thought the Savior, they thought was the Messiah. The one they have followed, devoted their, their last few years to, has been killed. And so now they think, if the Jews had Jesus killed, how much more now will they have anyone who follows him be killed? And so they're afraid. And so what we have here in verse 36 is, is where this begins. Now Jesus appears to them in this locked room to this startled, to this frightened bunch. And he comes to them and he says, peace to you. I just want you to think. Jesus has just been raised from the grave. He's conquered sin, death, and Satan. Mission accomplished, right? He came to die and to rise victorious over sin. He has done that. Salvation has now come to the world. These words ought to bring comfort and hope. And they do to us, right? Because we, we, we see the whole story. But at this moment, instead of experiencing this peace, this comfort, this hope, this love, and this joy, we see the disciples, they're startled. They're frightened. They think Jesus is a ghost. Now, do you ever read the Bible and think that you would not have responded the way they did? You ever read the Bible and be like, man, that's so dumb. Like, you know, when Peter does something foolish and you're like, oh, that's Peter. I wouldn't do that. But, you know, honestly, if, if, this, was Jesus, if this was the upper room and we're all up here and Jesus shows up, this would be us. I don't think we need to think we would be anything different. But let's not forget, though, that these disciples have heard already that Jesus has risen, right? In the beginning of Luke 24, women go to the, the grave. They find that it's open. The tomb is open. Angels say, don't you remember? So they then rush off. They go tell the disciples. Later, we have the second account. Two men, or two guys, or two people, we don't actually know. Two people walking on a road. Jesus shows up to them presents to them the whole gospel they run seven miles back to these people in the upper room and they tell them we just saw jesus in fact that's verse 36 as they were talking about these things what things well the things that come in verse 35 and 34 and 33 the fact that these people have just come back from emmaus saying we saw jesus but regardless they still are confused they're still not sure about this whole resurrection. And so I think this is why Jesus now rebukes them. It's a mild rebuke, but it's a rebuke nonetheless. So this moves us to the next section. In verse 38, Jesus says, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Twice people have already come to you and told you, I have risen. 
You see, the disciples, they think that Jesus is a ghost, he's a spirit. They do not think he's the resurrected flesh and bone Jesus Christ. And so what does Jesus do? I love this, and this, this is good to see. He meets them in their unbelief. You see that? Like, that, that's key. Like, he comes to them in their unbelief, and he says, well, well touch me. Feel my flesh. Feel my bones. He then takes some fish, and he eats it. So, so what's the point of this? Was he hungry? No, the, the, the point is, is that spirits, ghosts, they don't have flesh and bones. They don't eat food. And so by doing these things, he's proving to them that he is the risen Son of God. But what we see is that they still struggle in their belief. Look at verse 41. This is, a, this is an interesting way to write it. And the, tech, the Greek is actually kind of interesting and actually reads it just like it does in the Greek in the ESV. They still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. So you get it? That they disbelieved because of joy and they're marveling. Like they're just confused. So it's kind of like if you're a football fan. Um, hopefully you weren't last week watching the Seahawks, but um, maybe they'll do better today. Uh, your football team, they throw a Hail Mary at the end. You know, they're behind. They throw the Hail Mary. They catch it in the end zone. They score. It's an upset. And you're sitting there in the stands, and, and you're just, you're happy. You're surprised, but yet confused. You can't believe your team just won. You're filled with that joy. But, like, how did that actually just happen? That's kind of where they're at. Okay, it looks like Jesus is real. It doesn't appear that he's a spirit or a ghost, but they're still wrestling with that confusion. Now think about it. At this moment, the disciples, they're perplexed about all the events of the crucifixion and this resurrection. They see that Jesus is before them. Apparently he's not a ghost, but they're wrestling with it. But now if, if we just go to the end of the passage... If we go to the book of Acts, which Luke is the whole gospel about the life, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Acts is like Luke's gospel part two. He says, okay, now that Jesus is risen, what happens? And he's going to show us that these guys, these disciples, are so convinced of the resurrection that they're going to go out sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, and they're going to do so so incredibly boldly that they are willing to face imprisonment, persecution, and even death. So, so what has happened that they go from this perplexion to all the way to now they're completely convinced of the resurrection? Now there's a book called The Sociology of Philosophies by Randall Collins. If you have a little trouble sleeping at night, it's a good book. It'll put you to bed very quickly. But in this book, Collins, he describes how philosophical cultural shifts typically happen. And this is what Collins says. He says, initially, everyone believes effectively the same thing. Then an outlier comes along. So everyone believes this. Then an outlier comes along with some outlandish ideas. This person is attacked, yet a few people are at least somewhat persuaded. So while the majority accepted belief stays the same, 
some people begin to position themselves between the majority and the outliers. So they meet somewhere in the between. And the center begins to shift. Slowly, over a generation or so, the center is redefined and the majority position changes. So you're wondering, like, why did I just tell you that? Well, I'll tell you. Um, The Jews are probably some of the least likely people to ever believe that a human could be God. Their view of God is so high, they do not say the name God, and they do not spell out the name God. And so right now, in this upper room, we see the disciples are, are, are confused. They are not confidently embracing the resurrection. Like, I think that's clear. Luke is not trying to convince us at this moment that the disciples are fully convinced of the resurrection. And yet, by the end of the text, we see the disciples are rejoicing in Jesus. And as we follow the text on into Acts, we see that they're rejoicing so much that they will go out and begin sharing the gospel where thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to faith in Jesus. In fact, so much that in Acts later, it says that this gospel has turned the world upside down. So we're going from people who have no belief at all of one uh, of a person being God, or, remember, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, the Jews do not believe that a single person would be resurrected, while the rest of the Jews would not be resurrected. They only believe in a mass resurrection. And so we've gone from that position to now, these people are so incredibly convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, He has risen, and now they go preach it to the point of death. And this has taken place not in a generation, not in two generations, not in 15 years or 10 years or 5 years, but in a matter of moments, or you might even be able to say in a matter of weeks. The rapid change of the disciples' view of the resurrection proves the validity of the resurrection. Remember, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, as we looked at the first account in Luke 24 on the resurrection, we said, we as believers, we need to wrestle with the resurrection, right? We need to understand why we actually believe that Jesus has risen. And oftentimes, unbelievers think that the burden of proof is only upon us, right? But we said, no, there is a burden of proof also placed upon them, If they choose to not believe in the resurrection, they must come up with a plausible reason for how the disciples became so convinced of the resurrection that in such a short period of time, they're willing to die for it. And we see mass amounts of Jews, thousands and thousands upon them, shifting from a cultural norm to a brand new norm that Jesus is God, has risen in a matter of weeks it must be explained somehow and so what has happened that has changed the perplexity of these disciples into this joy filled boldness that at the end of the text we read that they are lifting up their or that uh, they are following him with great joy and they are continually in the temple blessing God praising God so what has happened so we move to instruction and I love the next section You know what Jesus does? I mean, it's there in the text, but he leads a Bible study. Like, you get it, right? Like, that's what Jesus, if you want to know more about Jesus, join a Bible study. 
If you want to grow in your faith, have a Bible study. If you want to grow in your knowledge of Jesus, your love of Jesus, if you want to grow in your passion for, for proclaiming Jesus, what do you do? Have a Bible study. It seems to work for Jesus. It ought to work for us. Look at what we have. And, and this is nothing new, right? Three stories in Luke 24. The first story, the angels or the women show up, the tomb is empty. So what do the angels say? Remember the words of Jesus. They point the women back to the words of Jesus as the means of proving the resurrection. The two people on the Emmaus Road, how does Jesus open their eyes? He does a Bible study with them where he walks through the Old Testament that points them to the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And now, here, he's going to tell them in verse 44, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In verse 45, these are incredible words. Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. See, scripture reveals Jesus to be the Messiah, but it's only by God's grace that we truly see this and we believe this truth. It's only by the grace of God that our minds are open, and what we see here, and we can see this throughout Scripture, is that Scripture is the means in which God works to graciously open eyes that we would see the truth of Jesus. So how is it that God awakens dead hearts, blind eyes, to the fact that his son Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, is the King of Kings? He pours out his grace through his word. It's through the word our minds are open. Our eyes see Jesus. And what this means is, the, is that the gospel, it's not a secret message. It doesn't need to be decoded. It's not something that only really smart people with PhDs are able to understand. But rather, we see the amazing truth of the gospel by God's grace through his word. It's a gift. And it comes to us by the grace of God. If you're here today, maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe you're here because someone invited you. Maybe you would say, look, I, I haven't really believed in this Jesus. I'm just checking this out. What I would encourage you to do is just say this prayer. God, open my eyes. Help me to see the truth of your gospel today in your word. Just pray that prayer. God, if you are real, I want to see your glory in your word. Help me to see your truth in your word. And really, if you're a Christian, that should be our truth. That should be our prayer every time we come to the word. God, open my eyes. Help me to see this truth. And if you are an unbeliever and, and you know you're just kind of checking this out, I encourage you, if you said that prayer, come talk to me afterwards. I would love to connect you. There's probably like 50 people here who would love to be able to meet with you, would love to read the Bible with you, would love to pray with you, would love to walk alongside you and help you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, so come see me afterwards if you've prayed that, if you would like to just better understand Jesus. But ultimately, you don't need me to tell you or anyone else. The Holy Spirit will do that. Just simply pray, God, open my eyes. Because this is the way God works. He works through his word, by his grace, in the power of his spirit, 
to open our eyes to his word. And notice that there's at least at least three things that we see when Jesus opens our minds, opens our hearts. Number one, we see that Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament. Jesus, when he says the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, when he says that in verse 44, that's shorthand for the entire Old Testament. And he's saying all of it has been pointing and preparing people for me. We'll look at that more in a few moments. Secondly, we see the gospel. Verse 46, Jesus says, Thus it is written that the Christ should, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. When we, when we see the scripture, we see the gospel. We see that Jesus, it has always been planned that he would come and die on a cross. Throughout the Bible, we see that man is sinful and that we're under the wrath of God. We need a Savior. That's a clear message of the Bible. Psalm, one, Psalm 14. This is Psalm 14's description of mankind apart from the grace of God. It says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So that is the biblical perspective of humanity. So you and me, apart from God's grace, says we are an abomination. that We do not do good. Because according to God, only those who do good are those who have been saved by the grace of God that we would live for the very glory of God. And so what we understand is that because we are sinful, we deserve judgment. And that judgment is death. And not just death, like you die and that's it, but it's eternal death. It's a death that never stops. It's an eternal dying and suffering. It's the eternal falling that we experience. But that's why Jesus comes. He comes so that he will stand in our place as our substitute. Jesus dies on the, on the cross. He endures the wrath that you and I should endure so that we could be saved and have peace with God. So that's the good news of the gospel. That's what happens when God's grace comes upon us in his word. Our eyes are made wide open that we understand we are under the wrath of God. And the good news is Jesus has come. This is ultimately what we celebrate at Christmas. Like this is why we're here, right? Like we're not here because we have nothing better to do. We're not here because this is what the world says, show up and gather with the church on Sundays. We're here because our God and Savior was born this day so that he would die the death that we should have died and he gives us the life that we could never have apart from his grace that we would live with him forever. That's what we celebrate. And that's the joy and the hope and the peace that we have as our eyes are made open through his word. So there's a third thing, and for, this, and for us to see the third thing, we'll move into the, the final section, the witness. There are three accounts of the resurrection in chapter 24. Each account is used to confirm the resurrection, and each account then results in people sharing the gospel with others. First, the women, they go to the empty tomb. The angel says, remember the words of Jesus. They remember, and what do they do? They go tell the disciples. They run back to the disciples, and they say, we saw Jesus. Or they say, we saw the empty tomb. The angel has told us that he is risen. 
We see the guys on the Emmaus Road. Jesus shows up to them, appears to them, walks them through the Bible. Notice it's only through the Bible that their minds are open. And then what do they do? They're seven miles from Jerusalem. It's dark, meaning it's now scary and treacherous. And no one travels at night because of, um, of thieves. And they run seven miles. And I want to know what that pace was. Like, was that like a five-minute pace? Was it a six-minute if it was more like mine, it would be slower. I won't tell you what that is, but it's slower. Like, I bet they booked it pretty quick. They ran all the way back seven miles to Jerusalem. And what do they do? They tell the disciples, we saw Jesus. Now in verse 47, notice what Jesus is saying. Verse 45, he opens their minds. They understand the, they understand the scriptures. And he said to them, this is what you've understood. Christ should suffer and raise from the dead. Okay, we get that. That's number one, the gospel, right? Jesus goes to the cross, raises. But there's a second thing, verse 46. And he said to them, thus, it, or in verse 47, and, we all know what the word and does, it, it connects, and now it's showing there's something else, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. So the second thing that we, or the third thing that we see in the word is our responsibility to share the gospel with the world. So when our minds are made open by the grace of God, in the word of God, we, we see that the entire Bible is leading to Jesus. It's all about him. We see clearly that Jesus is the Messiah who comes and gives us forgiveness of sins. And then we see we now have the privilege of telling other people about Jesus. Now that makes sense, right? Like, can you keep quiet if you have good news? So if you get a good deal on a house or on a car, don't you tell that to others? Like, man, I just got this amazing deal. If you find an incredible sale at store, at a store, don't you like women, like you Facebook that out or you message that to like 20 other women, like right then, like come, that sale is on right now. That was a little bit of a journalization. If you get a raise, do you come home and tell your spouse? Some of you are like, no, more money. No, you come home, you're like, I got the raise, I got the promotion for your children. Okay, they're going to be around a tree tomorrow. Most likely you're going to have at least one present. Now, let's say that that present is the one they've been wanting for like, you know, since last Christmas. Because as soon as they open the gifts and they want something else, you know, that's kind of how it works. And they're like, we really want this, we want this. And they've been telling you for like 12 months and you got that for them. And so you're like, man, superstar parent. And they open it. Do they tell anyone? Or do they just open it and go, oh, that's cool. No, they tell you, we're so excited. I got the present. They tell their brother. They tell their sister when they're at school. And their kid and their friends say, hey, what would you get? I got the present I wanted, right? Like you guys do that. Is that just me? Like I do that. Like I'm really stoked about this whole Great Wolf Lodge thing. Like, I'll tell you, I will call my parents later and be like, we're going to Great Wolf Lodge. <laughs> we'll need someone to watch our kids, so if you can do that while my wife and I go, that will be great. <laughs> no, like, we love telling people about good news. So, so now think about it. If we love telling people about raises, about houses, about cars, about gifts, about those things, how much more do we delight? sharing the news of the gospel with people. The fact that Jesus Christ has come, 
that we could have life, that we could have forgiveness of sins, that our debt has been paid. We do not need to suffer under the wrath of God, but it comes to us free by His grace that we could have life. So what I want to do in this remainder time, I want to give six reasons why we joyfully ought to share the gospel. I just want to bring them from the text that we have right here. So number one, we have joy in God's redemption plan. So these, these aren't actually written in your notes, so you can write them if you like. It should be up on the screen. We have joy in God's redemption plan. Look at verse 44. All the Old Testament points to Jesus. The law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. In fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis 3, we see at that point, Genesis 3.15, the need for a Savior. At that point, we are looking for someone to come and save us. When you read Leviticus, your favorite book of the Bible, right? You're in Leviticus, you're reading about priests and sacrifices, and you're going, I have no idea why I'm reading about all these sacrifices. Until we come later to the book of Hebrews, and we realize all these sacrifices point us to the fact that we need one great sacrifice, and all these priests point us to the fact that we need one great, perfect priest. And the good news of the gospel, Jesus is the priest, and he is the sacrifice who offers himself that we would be raised from the grave and we would have life with him. When we come to the kings, and what we see is that as the kings go, so the people go, and what we see that even the good kings are not perfect, right? And that even the good kings reign, like David had a great reign, but then comes Solomon after him, right? And then as Solomon comes at the end of his reign, we see Israel begins to move towards division, which happens very quickly, and the kingdom is split. What we see is as the king goes, so goes the people. So what do we need? We need a perfect king. We need a king who leads us in righteousness so we as the people would follow him in righteousness. The problem is there's no king that can do that until Christ comes as the king. That he would be born king, live, and now dwells at the right hand of the Father on the throne as our king, that he would lead us, his people, the church, the bride, the body of Christ, in righteousness. The entire Old Testament leads us to Jesus. The prophets are continually calling, believe in God. And it looks towards the restoration of Israel, which finds itself in, in the formation of the church in the new heavens and the new earth. When we're in the Old Testament, Everything leads us to the need, the necessity of Jesus Christ at the cross. What this means is that the cross was not an accident. That Jesus came on a mission. When he was born on Christmas Day 2,000 years ago, he was born to die on a cross. That's why he came. The cross was not some, oh man, how do we spin this now so it's going to work for good? But the cross has always been the plan, which means that our God has always desired and planned to save people by his grace in Jesus, which means he's never intended for you and I to earn our way to him, for us to work out our salvation, as in proving ourselves, as in earning the salvation, as achieving our salvation, but God has always planned on giving it to us by grace. 
That's what we come to in the scriptures. To know that when you are sharing the gospel, you are sharing the gospel that talks about a God who loves to save. This is not a God who's saying, I don't really know if I want to save anyone. But he has proven his commitment to save by sending his son Jesus that whoever would believe in him is saved by his grace. Amen indeed. This means every time we open the Bible, we will see God's grace. Do you know that? So right now, like there's joy. Do you get it? Like right now, God's grace is in the word flooding into our hearts. And if you're having trouble seeing it, what I would again, I'd go back to the earlier point. Pray, God help me to see your glory. God help me to see it now. That right now there is grace in the word of God revealing that the cross has always been the plan of God, meaning our God loves to save by grace through his son, Jesus. Every page of this book drips with the very grace of God. So when we open it, we're coming into the very presence of God where we experience his comfort, his love, his hope, rebuke also, instruction. If you're a parent, let me just say this. One of the things we do, we, we read the Christmas story with our kids. That's not just something to do. As you're reading the Bible with your children, know that what you are giving them is the very grace of God. So you can be praying, God, as we read the Christmas story, open the eyes of my children that they would see your glory. In fact, Every time you open the Bible throughout the year, so hopefully it's not just Christmas, every time, parents, you're shepherding your children in the Word of God, you know the grace of God is coming out, and you can be praying confidently, open the eyes of my children, open the eyes of my children. In fact, let that be your prayer with your kids. Open the eyes of our hearts so that we would see your glory. That's number one. Number two, we have joy that in Christ there is forgiveness of sins. Verse 47, the Bible reveals Jesus came to die and rise from the grave so that forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. When we share the gospel with people, we're sharing the greatest, most important news that they can ever hear. We're telling them how God made it possible for us not to experience his wrath and his judgment, but to experience love and grace and it's free. You don't have to sell anything. You don't have to dress it up. You're not convincing them to buy something. You're also not saying, look, there's a God out there, and he wants to save you, but there's a few things you're going to have to do. And you just lay out this list of rules and say, look, if you follow these rules, you'll be good. We don't have to do that. What we do is we present to them the God who says, if you simply believe in me, you are saved because God has achieved everything. And, and yes, there are things that we do, right? But it's all given to us by grace, empowered by his spirit, so that as we are saved, we do live a different way. But it's by the very grace of God we live that way. We share the forgiveness of sins, and it's free. Number three, we have joy in the peace of Jesus. Verse 36, Jesus says, 
peace to you. And the disciples are frightened and they're startled and they're confused. But when we share, we can now explain to them the truth of the scripture. When we can share with people the peace that Jesus does bring and that we see the disciples do experience through the very word of God. When we share the gospel with others, we're sharing actually the only news that truly does bring comfort to our souls, right? Like, let's be clear. There's a million things today that people worry about. You, you could just make a list, whether it's uh, political things, global things, terrorist things. Maybe it's things like just money, food, relationships, sickness, loved ones. I mean, there's, there's a thing. Some of you worried about what you're going to wear today. Some of you worry about, you know, just the size that we currently are. I mean, there's, there's a million things for us to get worried about, right? Christmas can especially be a difficult time for people. And people have experienced the loss of loved ones. And so as we come to this time where oftentimes there's lots of memories, there's also hurt and there's pain. But we can be encouraged because in the gospel there is peace. There's peace for us who have already believed in the gospel. And there's peace for those who we share the gospel with. Because when we share this gospel with others, we're letting people know there is a God, and he's in control. This world, it appears random at times. and We don't understand why things happen, but as we come to Scripture, we see that there is a king, and he's on a throne, and he's sovereignly, divinely guiding all events to the point where he will one day return, where he will then bring all who believed in him into the new heavens and new earth. And we can see his divine sovereignty in history, as we look at the Old Testament, where we have prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, looking forward to the very birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, where they are written hundreds, if not thousands of years prior to the birth of Jesus. The Old Testament canon was closed at least 200, maybe up to 400 years before the birth of Jesus. So what was written was sealed, and then we see Jesus coming and fulfilling extremely specific prophecies like where he would be born in Bethlehem. So we can see the divine sovereignty of God already through history and we can then look and know that it's carrying on into history to bring about the return of the king. There is peace when we share this gospel. Number four, we have, sh we have joy in sharing the gospel with others. Now I know that often when we talk about sharing the gospel with others, we all nod our heads. Yes, we do that. Or we all nod our heads. Yes, we know we're to do that. And then we kind of, do we do that? And it's like, oh, well, you know, kind of. Let's look at verse 49. Like, we should love verse 49. Like, you can just take your little pencil and circle 49, put a heart by it. This is an amazing verse. And behold... I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So Jesus says, all right, if you've believed in me, Scripture clearly reveals you now go and you tell other people about me. But wait, don't go until you get the power. 
that's going to come to you. And we know that power is the Holy Spirit. Because in Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples. And as it comes upon them, they rush outside and they begin sharing the gospel. And thousands of people begin coming to the faith of Jesus. Jesus doesn't just tell us to go into the world. He provides all that we need. Just as he gives us all the grace we need for salvation, he gives us all the grace we need for proclamation. So you might be saying, well, how powerful is this? Like, can I, can I actually do it? Is it powerful enough? Well, the Holy Spirit is God. So that's, that's pretty powerful. I mean, he's the one who spoke and created everything. He's the one who has made us alive. And if we just go through the book of Luke, we see that the Holy Spirit's the one who placed life in the Virgin Mary. We see that he's the one who empowered Jesus for his entire earthly ministry to cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. He's the one who raised Jesus from the dead. We see that in Romans 8. He's the one who empowered the earthly church to stand firm in the faith, in the faith and proclaim the gospel in the face of persecution and death. So yeah, he's pretty powerful. And this is the spirit who God gives us to clothe us, to wrap around us so as we go out, we're not going out in our strength and our abilities, but we're going out in the very power of God. So this ought to fill us with joy for at least two reasons. Number one, nothing can prevent us from sharing the gospel. Like If we have the power of God working in us to share the gospel, what do we need to be afraid of? Like, think about that. Like, when you're sharing the gospel or when you're thinking about sharing the gospel, immediately you probably have some fear coming in your head, right? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? Man, I hope they like me. What if I stumble? What if I mess up? I don't want to get, you know, into a, into a you know, fight here. I'm not sure how I could answer this. And all these fears begin weighing up. And, you, and eventually what happens, you have this weight of fears. And you say, well, maybe I just won't do it. But what if at that moment we then say, wait, I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. Actually, he's wrapped around me, giving me power that I can give the gospel at this moment. And when we understand it's the Spirit, then all these things that appear big actually appear like dust and are blown away because of the Holy Spirit who is within us. Number two, their point is that every believer can share the gospel. Like, you get it? You are equipped to share not because of how smart you are. Isn't that a good thing? Like, God doesn't say, I wish I could use you, but you're just not quite that smart. Maybe if you read the Bible, do some more Bible studies, do all those things. Or, or he says, you know, you just haven't read the Bible enough. Or you haven't been a Christian long enough. But rather what he says is, you've been clothed with power, go. So it's not dependent upon your ability, your eloquence, your wisdom. It's based upon the power of God that we go out. So let that free you. I know a lot of times you're thinking, well, I don't know what I'd say. That's okay. You don't have to know what you're going to say. I mean, it's good to grow in this area and, and maybe even do some studies on evangelism and, you know, even think about how to share the gospel. That's all good. Wisdom's still good. But when we're out there and we're sharing the gospel, 
We're going out in the power of God. And despite all of our abilities, despite all the times that we mess up, God uses us in our weakness and frailties to save other people. That This brings me great joy just preaching. Like, I'm not the greatest preacher. I mess up at times. There's someone that could probably preach this text much better than I can. But the good news is, is I know when the gospel goes forth, there is power in the gospel, and he has the power to open eyes, so it's not determined by my abilities. And when you go out, you're called to share. You're not called to save, right? Isn't that good? Like, we're just told to go share the gospel. God puts it on himself to save people. So let's just keep the role straight. We don't save people. We don't have to take that burden. We just simply share the good news. Let him take the heavy work of, of saving and opening dead eyes or dead hearts and blind eyes. Number five, we have a joy as we wait for the resurrection. Don't miss this. Jesus is in flesh and blood. What do you think that's a foretaste of? What it looks like for us one day in the resurrection. If Jesus rises in flesh and blood, then we know we're not just going to be a spirit. It means we're not going to be absorbed into the energy of the world, the Brahmin of the world, that that would be our eternal existence. But our eternal existence is to be flesh and blood with Jesus Christ in his presence on a new heavens and new earth. That is the joy that we have before us, which means that this life is not it. There is life after death. Jesus has risen to show us that, to prove that. And I'm thinking that our new bodies are going to be kind of like the bodies we always want. I'm just thinking. Like it doesn't tell us. They might, could be different, but I'm thinking they're not going to be any worse than what we have now. And I'm betting that they're going to be a little cooler. Number six, we have joy knowing that Jesus reigns as king right now. At the end of this text, it's kind of crazy, I think. The disciples, they're full of joy as Jesus leaves them. Don't you kind of wish he stuck around? I mean, do you ever go, man, I wish Jesus was with me right now? But yet, they are excited, ecstatic that Jesus left them. The truth is that Jesus has gone. And so why is it that they are not filled with tears at this moment? Well, I was reading, and, and John Piper, when he preached this text, he said it this way. Jesus is not leaving as one does when one goes to prison. When a family member goes to prison, there is sadness because where they're going is not a better place. And so there's sadness as there's that, that distance now in knowing that they're going to be suffering. But rather, uh, think of it as when our, our child grows up and goes to college, you have tears, moms especially, we have tears when our, our kid moves out, but yet you have joy because you know where they're going and it's good for them. They're growing they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And how much more we know that our Lord Jesus has left this earth to now go sit on a throne that rules over all of the nations. That is where our king is right now. And in verse 28 of Matthew, in chapter 28, or 20, 20 of chapter 28, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as he rules 
from the throne over all of the world, sovereignly guiding all things. His spirit is in us, dwelling amongst us. So even though, in one sense, he's distant, he is near. Even though he rules supremely high, he dwells within our hearts. This is why they're full of joy, because our king has not left in a, in a far way, never to be seen, but he is left and he is ruling, and we experience that rule every single day through the spirit that now dwells within us. So as we close, let me just say these things. Remember that all the gifts are ultimately pointing us to the, to the gifts of Jesus. Think about this. All these gifts and all the joy you're going to have as you open these gifts, let them lead you to a much greater joy. Remember, Jesus was born on a mission. And that mission was to one day go to the cross, to die, and rise again. This mission is found all throughout the Old Testament. It's always been God's plan. As you, as you celebrate Christmas tomorrow, remembering this is the plan. The baby who was born came to die. Remember to read the Christmas story and know that when you read tonight, tomorrow, there is grace going forth in your house. And it comes from this book right here. And it goes out to open eyes that it would fill us with joy. And remember, we have an amazing privilege to share the gospel. Our king came on a mission so that he would save us, equip us, and send us out on a mission. So that the world would know Jesus. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask uh, the men to come forward uh, and, and help us pass out the elements today. Our Father... God, we're excited. It's Christmas Eve. Tomorrow we specifically gather around a tree, opening gifts, ultimately celebrating your son, Jesus Christ, as the gift. God, it's because of Christmas we know there's Easter. It's because of that, Lord, we know that there is forgiveness of sins. You have died. You have risen. You are victorious, and you rule right now on a throne, and you have made that known to us through your word. So, God, open our hearts. Give us eyes to see. Fill us with joy. Flood us with your joy. Lord, I pray that as we are here right now, the joy in our hearts will be growing and welling up. I pray as we leave, it will continue as we go forth, as we see people, as we open presents, as we're with family and loved ones, God, help us just to constantly share the good news of the gospel. You have a plan, and the plan was that your son would die and rise again so you would save a people. And God, we know that you are doing that. And at Christmas, we are celebrating your plan, your son Jesus. Give us eyes to see, God. May no one leave here today without knowing 100% that your son Jesus is God. In your name.